Welcome to episode 119 of the Thunder Underground podcast. My name's Trent. I'm here with Jason. And this week we've got John Connolly of Seven Dust. Can you believe it? I can believe it. I'm very happy to be able to believe that. That's right. I felt like this is coming for a while. I always felt like someone from Seven Dust was going to be on our podcast yeah. eventually. And here we are at number 119. So That's right. Well, it didn't take that long. Less than two years. So. It It is an honor. Yes. And it is a privilege because we've been huge Seven Dust fans since the minute they came on the scene. Yeah. 20 years the ago. The national scene. We weren't yes. there in Atlanta, so we can't say we're that old school. Yeah. The minute we heard of them when they were on their first album, we've been hardcore fans and this is uh this is an honor definitely you know my uh i forgot to ask him questions about the roar tour oh man that would have been amazing maybe next time he's on here that's we'll right because it'll happen yeah see what his memories are of the roar that's tour. right that's right see how much he liked sponge more than you probably oh i loved sponge <laughs> yeah well jumping right into this We've got a song that we're going to world premiere. First time it's ever been heard anywhere outside of probably this band and their family. So I'm going to get Eddie Trunk on you right here and say this is a world ex- premiere exclusive from our friends in Reliance Code. How do you like that? I love it. What's the song called? It's called Never Bring Me Down. Let's check this out. Just let me find my way 
There you go, the debut of Never Bring Me Down from Reliance Code. This is a band out of Stigler, Oklahoma. We've talked about quite a bit, but if this is their first time listening, you need to go check these guys out. You can find them on Facebook, Reverb Nation. And I think, yeah, their EP, they have an EP out already from last year that already has that has four songs on it that's on Spotify and iTunes yeah. and Amazon. So go purchase this stuff. Features Josh and Todd, who were both on this podcast on episode 104. Band also features Chris and Shane, and I can't remember the other guy's name. I don't know who the fuck he is. Cody. Hey, you cut off the joke. I didn't know there was a joke. Sorry, that's the... Anyway. Well, fuck you then. <laughs> that was for them, because they have the joke of who the fuck is Cody Peebles. Oh, I didn't know that. Well, I'll tell you about you, it off You've hung off out air. with them more than I have. <laughs> I'll tell you about it once we hit... Wow, I feel... I. I I feel like, you know... Well, see, it showed that you knew who he was, so... You're above, yeah. You're above the rest of us, so there you go. Well, definitely above you, motherfucker. <laughs> but look here, here's 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 what I'm about to say. These guys are on their way, okay? They're playing in Oklahoma. They just opened for Gemini Syndrome. They're opening for Hell Yeah in Arkansas. That's right. Later this summer. I mean, these guys are recording, playing their asses off, gigging everywhere... Everyone's digging them. Uh, they are just, uh, they're professional, and there's just no way these guys aren't going to be a thing, you know, in a year or two. Yeah. Um, I, I can't wait to see where the, these guys go. And this song is just, it's catchy, it's heavy. Um, I mean, it's just, uh, I love it, and I love this band. Yeah. And see, the thing is, with this band, you hear this song, it sounds extremely well recorded. It's extremely professional. We've talked about that. Well, you just mentioned it. It's recorded by a Grammy-nominated producer yeah. in Dallas. Yeah, exactly. It's great stuff. But when you see them live, it's just as good as the, right. what you just heard. That's right. And that's the key thing with any band. If you can pull off your sound live and sound just as great. And Josh's bass is black with green strings. And it makes me think of typo negative. That's and right. that's badass. Yes. I just wanted to throw that in. He's also got a green base. Yes, he does. It has black strings, right? Uh, yeah, and the, even the <laughs> neck of it's green. Yeah. You know, so what now? <laughs> well, like I said, they, they have an album coming out, and it's supposed to be out. Like, I think they're going to have copies, they said, at their Rocklahoma appearance Okay, at the end of May. But then they're having a CD release show in Fort Smith at the Sound Room on June 19th, I believe is the date. That's a Saturday. Screaming Red Mutiny from out of Tulsa is also going to be on that bill. Mm. That's definitely one that you got to check out. Yeah. Sound Room's a great venue as well. But yeah, just keep, like you said, I can't wait to see where these guys go. And we're going to be talking about this album in its entirety here in a couple episodes. Yeah. You know, kind of a preview of it. So be on the lookout for that as well. That's right. Reliance Code. Get into it. Hell yes. Well, this past week, last Thursday... I went to a couple shows. You were busy. Yeah. This is it's kind of funny. This is becoming a... It seems like we've, we've gotten a, a lot of shows that mm -hmm. were both there, but there's a lot of shows where like there's two or three in a row where I'll be the only one there, and yeah. there'll be two and three in a row where you're the only one there. I know. But hey, at least one of us is out there representing them. That, that's right. That's checking all that the matters. stuff out. Yeah. Exactly. I know, I, know that, I know that you didn't embarrass me. You know? I tried not to. You did me proud, so I, I trust you when you go out there by yourself. Well, see, the first thing I got to the La Iguana nightclub, yeah. and like five or six people came up to me and said, where's Jason? And I said, well, he's not here. And then they just said, oh, fuck you, and walked off. They literally said, fuck Exactly, you. see? 
Dakota from Mr. Rogers Intergalactic Sexual Experience said fuck you and walked off. Exactly. Never spoke to me again. And here's the thing is when I'm out and you're not around, I was like, where's Trent? I'm like, I don't know. They're like, fuck yeah, I didn't want to see that bastard anyways. See? And you know, wow. party ensues. Me and Cody Peebles would just go off by ourselves. And, you can. And just wonder why everybody's you know treating us like shit. You can just go off by yourself because I don't know this little joke. So I don't want to be dissing something I don't know about. <laughs> so fuck in you. All right. Well, here's the deal. The La Iguana Nightclub had this show last Thursday, and it was Nocturnal Winter's one-year anniversary show, and they also had on the bill Obscure Sanity, Volition, and Mr. Rogers' Intergalactic Sexual Experience. Yes. And then at Billy and Renee's, there was the 420 show going on that was a tribute to John Halata. Because John Holada loved 420, so that's perfect, you know, okay. what 420 represents. So that's a perfect day to do a tribute to John. I'm listening. And he had a lot of John's friends performing, like okay. Chuck Cooley and Scorn. Cody, Cody Slane had played a lot of shows with him. But I'll get into that here in a minute. So what I did is I split up the two shows. Didn't get to see every band at both shows, obviously. But I got to La Iguana first and saw Mr. Rogers' Intergalactic Sexual Experience because they kicked this thing off. Okay. At 8 p.m. sharp. Nice. They were prompt. That was the first good thing I could say about That's it. That's right. That's important. Yeah. And hey, it's important, especially when you're young guys. <coughs> a lot of times you see young bands and, you know, they're just up there screwing around, you know. I know. Hey, these guys know what they're doing. You gotta get on it. They're yeah. already like seasoned vets. That's right. Well, uh. And we've had them on the podcast. That's so. true. Yeah, that's we had awesome. Dakota and Trevor, so go back and check that out. We talked about them recently as well, you know. Not only as far as the music they play, just as guys, they're extremely well-versed in music. You know, they could do their own podcast and teach you things every episode. They should. Yeah, that's a good idea. There you go, guys. Well, no, because then they'll take all of our listeners, probably. Hey, hey, it's all music. It's all love. There's enough to go around. They're probably never going to talk about warrants, so at least we got that avenue that we we still can control. Yeah, yeah, we've got the warrant trickster audience, (laughs) right? You know, held at bay, pretty good. Yeah. Well, and the thing about it is, they're extremely, also extremely wide ranged in their love of music. Yeah, everything from John Coltrane to black metal. You know, you can't say that about most people. No. You know, there's people that have a range. You know, like they might like you know, Merle Haggard and like Slayer, but that's still not the same as liking John Coltrane and a, you know, black metal band. Yeah, they got me beat on that Or liking Deicide and liking, you know, I can't think of someone else like the opposite end of that, but you know what I'm trying to say. Yeah, definitely. Their live show came off really well. That's one thing I was wondering about because you got this experimental sound. They're doing all kinds of things. Every song that they put up is completely different from the last and they pulled it off live. It was cool to see, you know. Yeah. They and they're switching around, you know. Dakota and Trevor both switching around instruments. They got two drum sets on stage. I know they started the show with Dakota on the second drum set, and then Trevor was singing and playing kazoo. And then later on, he got on the drums. Playing, he's playing the drums, the kazoo, and singing. Yes. You know, Dakota was up there doing lead vocals. They did a cover of Paranoid at the end of the show. Nice. Which was really cool. And then they had great interaction between the songs with each other and with the crowd. You know those guys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. They try to offend everybody in the room. 
and they did a good job of that. I don't think they actually offended anyone, but they, if it was a different crowd, they would have offended some people. Good. And then... <laughs> That's what rock and roll is all about, yeah. man. <laughs> and then they're talking shit to each other on stage. That's right. You, know, you gotta love it. The guitars sounded great. I love their guitarists. You know, so it's just... It's really cool to see a band like this that can switch around instruments and, you know, make it work. And mm. As I was taking off to make it over to the 420 show in time to see Scorn, I saw Dakota in the parking lot and he was putting on black metal face paint because he was going to get up on stage with Nocturnal Winter. Yes. So I was kind of sad I was missing that. Yeah. I was sad I was missing him anyway. I haven't seen him and it's just <clears> cool to be able to say there's a black metal band in Tulsa because that just sounds crazy to say and I, I love know. I love to be able to say that. So one of these days we're going to be able to see these guys. Yeah, I, yeah, I'd like to. I really would. Yeah. But I did get to see the other two bands on the bill, which was Obscure Sanity. They had a broken arrow. And I was talking to Trevor before, and he said, hey, these guys are kind of like melodic deathcore, similar to like Black Dahlia Murder or something. And I was like, all right, this will be interesting. I'm not really a huge fan of Black Dahlia. Yeah. But thankfully, these guys took the stage, and I liked them. So not saying I don't like Black Dahlia, just really mm-hmm. never was my thing. Yeah. But these guys, the singer has a has a great screaming voice. You know, just really laid it out there. Had the heavy and the scream. And the guitarist was just riffs galore. It was just a, like kind of like a fucking wall of, you know, like like you described Nels. Just like yeah. this huge wall of sound. Love that. Yeah, it's just the same kind of thing came from them to me. And they're from Broken Arrow, by the way. Yes. And they've been, you know, they've been together while Trevor said like three or four years. And... You know, I think they had another name early on, but that's another band from this area to check out. Obscure Sanity. Yeah. Well, I'm already liking the Broken Arrow thing. Yeah. You know, representing. They're representing. That's where we're from. That's where our confines are. Yeah. Our our M, our our compound. That's where we're recording this right now. That's right. We're not on location at CBGB's, the former site of CBGB's or anything like that. We're in Broken Arrow. We're in the dark, seedy, soft, white underbelly of Broken Arrow, yes. <laughs> Another thing I wanted to mention about MRIs before I forget is they, I talked to both of them afterwards and they said they had wrote two new songs, one of them like two days before they played it. So that's another thing that's... I love that. You got to love the confidence in that. Yeah, exactly. And then uh, Volition took the stage and this is a band I've been wanting to see for quite a while. I've seen the name forever and probably about a year ago when we first started, or over a year ago when we first started talking to Trevor, he's like, hey, you need to check out Volition. It's got some buddies of mine, they're a thrash band. And I pulled up their EP on YouTube, and, mm. and it's fantastic. Just balls out thrash metal. That's I gotta what, hear this. That's what you want. I don't know. I I thought I'd send it to you, but I don't know if you hadn't heard them. You gotta check these guys out. I will. It's a three piece. They used to be, I think, a five piece early on, and D- Dakota was in the band when they started. Mm-hmm. And they're doing a show sometime in June. I'll we'll mention the date later in a future episode, but with the full original members. So Dakota will be gotcha. playing with them then. But, you know, for now, and they have been a three-piece, and they're they're good. They, they've they got a lot of opening slots for when bands like this come through. They open for DRI okay. here in Tulsa. They open for Havoc in Oklahoma City nice. at that show that we tried to go to. Yes. And I know they've opened for Psycho Stick and other bands. But it's just, it's what you want from a thrash band. Mm. It's balls out thrash. It's not like you think of the heaviest thrash when you think of like Slayer or Overkill or something, yeah. or DRI, where it's just like balls out. And that's what these guys are. And the singer is real, has a real evil voice. Mm-hmm. It's like, think of like Blitz from Overkill, but like crazier. 
Nice. Not crazier, <laughs> but just like more like intense, I yeah. guess is the word to use. And yeah, they're just, like I said, it's what you want, you know, and I wish there was more thrash bands around, especially in our town. Yeah. So, you know, there probably is, and I'm just not thinking of it right now, but Volition, there you go, check them out. So about towards the end of their sets, when I hit it over to Billy and Renee's, because I knew what time scoring was going on. I know before them, Chuck Cooley played, and I've oddly, I've been at like three shows in the past year that he played, and like I just missed him. So it's like a weird coincidence, I don't know. But I've seen him several times in the past, and it was always extremely good. He draws a big crowd, and, you know, there's a lot of, and the thing is, when I walked in there, it's one of the heavier, you know, bigger crowds I've seen at yeah. Billy and Renee's, which is a good thing. Good. And it's especially great to see on a Thursday night. Yeah, definitely. Like, Less Than Human talked about that, you know, the week before when I saw him there. And, you know, it's very cool to see people coming out and supporting music on a weeknight. That's important. And speaking of Less Than Human, three of the four of them were at the the show I just talked about. Okay, good, You know, out there supporting all those bands. Scorned up, you know, was up. This is the first time I'd seen him. We've seen, we saw Cody a few times with Blackwater Rebellion. We've had him on this podcast as well. Yes. Talking about Blackwater and Scorn, but now he's exclusively in Scorned, and they're out of Fayetteville. First thing I noticed was they sound really, I don't want to say raw, but just really, there's a lot of attitude and like, you know, like like a punk band has, mm-hmm. but they don't really sound like a punk band, yeah. but that just kind of looseness, yeah. but it also sounds really well put together. It doesn't, nice. you know, not loose in a bad way. His, you know, we already know his voice. We've talked about that before. He's got a great voice. The other cool thing that instantly jumped out is Jay, the guitarist, was singing backups and harmonies with him and stuff. And their voices worked really well together. Yeah. You know, what was that? When we had Lips from Anvil on recently, he's talking about the, the third voice where it's the two of them together. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, that's how Scorn worked really well. And not only that, there was one song where... Jay just took lead vocals without playing guitar and Cody just played guitar, you know, and he's got, he's got a little bit different kind of voice, but it just works really well together. Mm. And that's always great. Cause that adds another element that a lot of bands don't have. And the other thing is all three of them or three of them, sorry, all four of them are really putting in, you know, you know, Cody Slane live. He's got a lot of energy. Yeah. He's, and that's the great thing about watching him live is he's one of those guys you see, Kind of like we talked about with John Halata. You watch him and you you can tell that he's in a different place. Yeah. You know, he's in his world. This is the sage and this is my music. Yeah. And I'm lost in his music. That's what I see with Cody Slane as well. The other guys as well. The drummer is extremely hard hitting. Just one of those guys that's just like real intense the way he hits the drums and they really pop. And Jay's got this great guitar sound. There's there was a song, I forgot the name of it, I wish I could remember the name of it, but his guitar tone was just so badass sounding. The bassist, as well, stood out to me because, you see, you know, most basses you see have that kind of, that pop or that, that mm. groove, you know, just that sound of a bass, you know. And he, his bass was real liquidy and real smooth. Mm. And, you know, I told you before we recorded, you know, Kind of in that sense, like Cliff Burton was like on Anesthesia or some of his other stuff, you know, where it's just like, is that the right word to lose? Smooth? Yeah. And liquidy is really Liquidy. Good. Yeah. I really. Yeah. That, that paints a picture for sure. Yeah. So it's just really cool that these guys just, 
you know, everything about it just it fit well together. And they've got, they were, you know, they're recording this album with uh, John LeCompte, who okay. used to be in Evanescence. We talked about that when we played their first single, Another Mistake. And they've got, they mentioned at the show that it's going to be out this fall sometime. That Jay told me that the only thing they have left to do is a few songs that Cody has to put vocals on. Mm-hmm. And then it'll be, you know, mixed, mastered, all that great stuff. And they've got a ton of shows lined up in the fall. Speaking of Gemini Syndrome, with like we talked about with Reliance Code, they're opening for Gemini Syndrome in Fayetteville later yeah. this year. Or no, later this later in May. Yeah. And then they're coming to Rocklahoma as well. They'll be out there on the dark side stage. And then, then they've got a ton of shows lined up in June and July. So they're out there, and you can see them if you're in this area of the country for sure. Yeah, you need to. Yeah. Well, after that was uh, Let's Slip the Dogs. Okay. And I don't want to sound corny, but I've got a fucking man crush on these two guys. Okay. Okay. <laughs> this was just, this was, I don't, you know, I can't even put this into words. It's, I, I've never seen them live, so I can't compare it to their, it was an acoustic performance. I can't compare it to what they did before. They played that Sons of Texas show we went to. Okay. But they were playing while we were recording the interview yes. with, with John and Jess from Sons of Texas. So, but everybody that was there at the show, like Jason and Tracy and several other people just mentioned how great they were. And, you know, they hadn't heard of them before that. And they were just really happy with what they saw. So I was really looking forward to it. And this first chance I got, and they mentioned that they don't have a drummer now. And that's why they haven't been playing shows. I see. So they decided to do this and do this acoustic performance. And both of them, you know, were excellent on the instruments and then you know they already kind of have that i know that you know if you look at their facebook page they describe themselves as a progressive metal band mm-hmm. so i can't really like i said i can't really talk to that since i haven't seen them in the you know in the plugged in yeah. avenue but in the acoustic avenue it really gave me that feel of like john garcia from caius i see you know yeah. he put out an acoustic album just like a month a couple months ago and that feel you get from that, or like the feel you get from Swords Low Country. Yeah. It's like if you took a, you know, kind of a stonery rock band and stripped them down acoustic, that's the vibe I got from these guys. Really? But it's like those two guys I just mentioned, you know, Sword and Caius are just like extremely talented, amazing bands. And I would put these two guys up there with, at that level with how good they sounded. That's great. And so I can't wait to see what they have coming. And like I mentioned, he mentioned on stage, if you're a drummer, hit us up. So there you go. If you're a drummer, hit up Let's Slip the Dogs. Yeah, get into it. Billy Bristol. There you go. There's a shout out for you. Well, after that was our winter year. I've seen that name coming into this, but they're relatively new. I think I've just seen some people post about it. Mm-hmm. And this was a, a really cool thing because kind of like, you know, every band that I've just talked about it was completely different from the other one. Yeah. And this, you know, carried that on. I, I can't think of, I can't think of anything to compare them to other than they sound like if a classic rock band got real angsty and metally, mm-hmm. if that's a, a way to put it, they sound like those bands from the, the classic rock era, but they also sound like took it to a, you know, a metal level. They even yeah. did a cover of, Dear Mr. Fantasy. Really? By Traffic. Nice. And, you know, just imagine that 
is a heavy band doing it. And it's not like overly heavy, like extreme metal. It's just like heavy rock. Mm -hmm. And I mean, that would be a good way to describe them. They sound really good. And it's just one of those bands that you watch and you think, man, as these guys keep going, as they develop the sound, there's no telling what they're going to become. And it's just one of those things that I think would be exciting every time you see them. So I can't wait to see them again. But yeah, it was a fun night of seeing... Like I said, six bands that were totally unique from each other. and yeah, I, you saw all kinds of stuff. Yeah. And I, I just love to be able to say that because so many people say stupid stuff like, you know, there's nothing to do or there's no, they don't want to go out and support local music. You know, in the span of four or five hours, I saw six bands that were totally different from each other and all of them were fucking great. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So get out there, people, and support this stuff. You have no excuse. <laughs> well, speaking of supporting stuff... There's about to be a new projected album. Yes. Here in a couple months. But in the meantime, you need to check out Projected. Their first album came out about five years ago now. Mm. And we're going to play a track off that here. This features John Connolly, who we're going to talk more about here in a bit. Of course, of Seven Dust. It also features Vinnie Hornsby of Seven Dust. It features Scott Phillips, the drummer for Alter Bridge and Creed. And then it features Eric Friedman of Tremonti. This is like, you know, a great super group. Yeah, it is. Three or four great bands there that I just listed. So check this song out. This is called The Crown.
That was The Crown from Projected's debut album. Came out a few years ago. You can pick that up on CD Baby, I believe, probably on iTunes as well. It's also on Spotify, Amazon, all that great stuff. Go check it out. Pick that up. Support these guys. And be look be on the lookout. They've got a teaser video up for the new album. Sounds great. And he mentions here in a bit that that should be out here in, by the summer sometime. Yeah. So be on the lookout for that. Definitely. Well, here a few episodes ago, I believe it was 114, we talked about Seven Dust's 20th anniversary show because we yes. watched the YouTube videos. We sure did. And we kind of talked about Seven Dust there, but obviously we're going to talk about it a little bit here because we got right. John Connolly here. Why not? Of course we would. Yeah. So, I mean, what do you, you know, we've, like you mentioned at the beginning, we've both been fans for since, what was the first song you heard? I think the first song I heard was Bitch. Yeah. Was it that for you? Was it uh, I, I, I heard first song I ever heard was Born to Die. Oh, that's right. It was like right. on a late night metal show on the radio in KMOD. Okay. And they played Born to Die, and I was hooked. And, you know, Seven Dust is just one of those, you know, that came out at the, the dawn of the whole new metal thing. But, you know, they've they transcended above all that. And, the, you know, they're just, they're just a staple in the hard rock world. And they're tried and true, and they're always going to be there for you. Yeah. You know, I mean, they really are. And, and that's nothing. They, they, they haven't done anything that sucks. You know, you always know what you're getting and they always deliver. They always deliver. They never let you down. And that's one thing that, you know, uh, it's just everything's great. 20 years of, of just being badass. Yeah. I mean, really sounds corny, but it's the truth. I mean, they, they those guys should be very proud of what they've built. And uh, it was just nothing but an honor to have John on the show. Yeah. Yeah. Um, on that episode, a few episodes ago, I compared him to Tesla. Yeah. In a, which sounds weird when you just say that up front, but in a, a way of comparing them, like the way their career progressed and the way they kind of got lumped into a category they weren't really a part of. Yeah. Which they don't really sound new metal, but of course there's elements Tesla was the same way with, like, the hair metal scene. Yeah. And then Tesla kind of had that trajectory where they never became, like, one of the biggest bands in the world, but they're a band everybody knows. Mm. They have songs everybody knows, and they consistently put out great music, and they're yes. still doing that to this day, just like Seven Dust has done the same thing you just mentioned. That's right. It, it's consistency. It's, uh, you know, and that's why they've been able to keep doing it. You know, there's there's a certain honesty there's a certain work ethic that's at play here. Yeah. Just like with Tesla. So yeah, I mean that 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 parallel is is pretty cool to make. Yeah, and you 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 gotta say something for a band that's been around for twenty years and still has the five original guys in it. That's right. I mean, there was what, a four year period where it was only four of them, but I mean, for the past almost ten years now it's been mm-hmm. the same five original guys again. Yep. Yeah. And they just got nominated for a Grammy. Yeah. Last year, so. And he talks all about that right. a bit. So, what's your favorite Seven Dust song? Jeez. I'll give you a, a heads up. I can't. It's one of those bands I can't say what my favorite song is, I don't think. But I could say like five or six real quick off the top of my head. Yeah, I mean, I I don't even know. I mean, there's, it's endless. Yeah. I mean, it really is. It's and, like. And you, there's even. You could name one or two, and then you could name. Yeah. Eight or ten that are like right behind that, and another ten that are like really close to that. You know, yep. 
and and they've they've even had they've had so many albums where you forget songs sometimes. You forget songs. You know what I mean. So, yeah. well, for me, you know, early on, I really gravitated for, towards Bitch because that was the first song I heard. I just loved, you know, the clean singing that turned into that, you know, aggressive thing. Then after getting that album, that entire album, you know, I hate to be that guy, but that debut album is still my favorite album. Yeah. And when you think of that album, Prayer, is also one of my favorite songs. That is a great song. And then... That's definitely my favorite song from that album. Really? Then the next album, like, I really love Waffle. That's up there on my top. Seven Dust Songs. Beautiful. Is a great one. Ugly is a great one. Hey, look, you had two opposites there. Beautiful and ugly. Yeah. I'll say Prodigal Son is way up there. I was about to say Prodigal Son. I really like that Hope and Sorrow. I like that whole record. Yeah. That's so good. The new album, or the newest album from, it was 2015 now, right? Yeah. Um, Kill the Flaw. That's another, well, I mean, just like all of them, it doesn't have any filler. It's a great album. Yeah. And there's tons of great songs on there. (laughs) I really liked the whole Time Travelers and Bonfires where they did acoustic stuff. Yeah. And that's one thing I, you know, I almost, I almost wanted to get into, but you know, there was so much covered. I didn't, you know, I didn't want to overdo it in the interview, but you know, when when really heavy bands go acoustic, sometimes it doesn't work out. Right. You know, like recently I heard Metallica do an acoustic version of Hardwired and, oh, really? Yeah, it was for that Neil Young thing. Okay. And it was a huge lump of fucking uh, mongoose shit. And people, he can say this because that's his favorite band. Yeah, That he defended band. even during the St. Anger era. Exactly. And so, but Seven Dust, for some reason, they come off so well acoustic. I mean, it doesn't it doesn't sound corny. It doesn't sound funny. It, it It's just, I think because it's that groove they always keep. And it just sounds, it, it sounds so sophisticated and so pure. Yeah. So that that band, they really come across acoustic in a great way. Yeah. So I just wanted to say that. Well, and just live in general. Yeah, know? yeah, definitely. They're just exceptional when it's like, you know, we mentioned early, we saw them on that war tour, and so we saw them on their first... Yes. One of their first tours nationally in 96. Yeah, it was 97, not 96. Or it could have been the summer of 98 by that point. I don't really know. Mm-hmm. But anyway, we saw them early on, and we've seen them as recently as... Rocklahoma in 2016 and just as phenomenal now as they ever were yeah and in fact I would say I think I said it on that Rocklahoma review episode that their only competition at that Rocklahoma was the Scorpions and Last in Line yeah as far as true being the best performance of that whole festival I agree I agree it just you know I loved them always knew how much I loved them but it'd been couple years two or three years since i saw him live and that yeah. just reaffirmed how much i freaking loved him you know? i always liked when you see him live and uh morgan would be drumming and he'd throw a stick over to Vinny, and Vinny would catch it and throw it into the crowd that was oh awesome. that's right yeah <laughs> <coughs> and that's another thing we mentioned i think how great morgan is and unheralded i think yeah when people are talking about great drummers yeah and he's so unorthodox you know yeah uh, it's just uh and it's such a joy to watch him play i mean we can't we can't say enough good things about Seven Dust. Yeah, we could just sit here and do an episode yeah, about each yeah. guy on their own. Exactly. Well, Geek out. the other thing I wanted to mention that we haven't even talked about in forever was before the second album, Home, came out. 
like I think it was the day or the day before it came out, we went to that listening party. Remember that? Yeah, that's right. I don't remember. It was like at some armory or VFW yeah. or something that yep. that a station, local station, one hundred four point five here in town, put on. Yep. Maybe it was KMOD. I don't remember. Yeah. I feel like it was one hundred four point five, and like Chuck, the sports guy, was out there. He could have been. And you know, like I don't know if you could get the album. I think it was the day before, but they were giving out like stickers and you know promotional stuff. We were there. Yeah, there you go. I still have the Seven Dust Home bumper sticker. <laughs> I think we we probably talked too much. It's time to get into this interview with John Connolly. Well, in the words of LeJean Witherspoon, let's go on and give them their money's worth. There you go. posted that this new album is going to be a concept record yeah yeah we're uh we're kind of dribbling out little bits of info you know here and there along the uh along the whole rollout but yeah it's uh it's a concept record and it's kind of interesting uh how it all came together because i never really sat down and said okay i'm going to make a concept record um even back when we were uh doing alpha with seven dust it was kind of one of those things where we were about a third maybe halfway into the you know, the process. And, uh, we kind of realized it just had this constant theme and everything was super, super connected. And this record did the exact same thing. You know, it was like the, the deeper I kind of dove into it, the more I realized everything was related, you know, super, super, uh, tied together. So yeah, I mean, it was, uh, it was kind of interesting, you know, I, I don't think you ever really sit down to make a, you know, I think in, in the world of seven dust, like time travelers and bonfires was very specific. We said, we're going to do a, an acoustic record. We're going to do some remakes of some old songs and we're going to do six new songs. <clears throat> but with every other record, you just kind of start making music and whatever kind of comes your way, comes your way. And with Projected, it was, uh, it was pretty obvious that, that it was a, a definite concept record. So once, once that, you know, realization happened, then we just kind of matted it and just connected it all and, and put it all together. So it was a fun process, you know. Do you have to order the songs in a certain way when, when it comes to that kind of thing? Well, yeah, you know, once you kind of realize um, how it all ties together, you know, I'm super, super big on flow and, you know, how one song connects with another song and not just in how you're trying to get the point across, you know, from A to B, but also how the songs kind of interconnect with each other. You know, you, you could put one song in front of another song and it makes, you know, the second song feel a little fast or a little slow and then you kind of jockey things around for position. So, it took me, uh, you know, probably a good three or four weeks of kind of living with a couple of different orders and then kind of tweaking things and moving stuff around. But, but yeah, I mean, it's all, it's all definitely part of the, part of the presentation. You know, I'm, I'm a kid from, you know, the sixties and the seventies. I mean, that's when I grew up and I, I grew up on records. Like for me, it was a big deal to open up the record and, you know, see all the artwork and have all the flow and have, you know, a whole presentation. You know, I know we live in a different day and age where people kind of want things or I don't even know if they want things this way, but you know, the delivery systems are so different because you know, it's smaller doses, you know, people are so programmed to just singles, you know, individual songs they may get, you know, get streamed off Spotify or Apple music or something like that. But 
you know, for me, it was like, hey, you know, if this is if this is going to be something that's that's a side project and that's cool, it should be more about the art than about the, uh, you know, the bang the bang for your buck and the quick. You know, let's just get one song out there. So yeah, I mean, for me, the, the presentation is uh, always a big deal. Are you the primary writer with Projected, or the other three guys have input as well? You know, it's one of those things. Um, I, we had every intention of trying to get in the room together to write this thing, but you know, there's so many bands and so many projects between Alter Bridge and then Seven Dust. You know, doing both acoustic and electric and Tremani. Um, you know, trying to line the planets up to find that time is always just a nightmare. And <laughs> I kind of got tired. I mean, Scott was like, when are we going to do projected? I was like, oh, man, I just can't find the time to do it. But, you know, as you're as you're waiting around for that moment of opportunity, you're always writing songs. I mean, even if I'm not writing for a record, I'm writing. I mean, every time I come in and I sit down with a guitar and, you know, program a drum machine beat or, or, or something in, I'm always recording stuff. So there's always kind of like a catalog of, of what I call the well, you know, let's go to the well and see what's in there. You know, sometimes you forget, totally forget you even got certain songs in there. Um, so, you know, it was, it was good intentions, but we needed to kind of, you know, get going on this thing. So we did it kind of like we did the first record. You know, we picked a, a bunch of songs that we really, really felt good about that were already kind of demoed out. Um, you know, I framed the house and then the guys helped me finish it, if that makes any sense, you know. Right. I do most of the heavy lifting on the front end, but there's always so much that gets added to it. You know, once I get my, my parts in the hole, you know, once we got Flip up and, and me up and then, you know, we track Vinny. And uh, then, you know, once E-Rock comes in and he, he does his thing, you know, he adds his twist on the harmonies and, you know, adds a lot of extra little guitar layers and solos and things like that. You know, that's when it starts to get really exciting. So even though the bulk of it probably starts from, you know, my perspective and point of view, it's it's not projected until all four guys get their hands dirty. You know what I mean? Well, you mentioned the well. Does that work for both? Is it a combined thing that you have for both projected and seven dust or how do you differentiate the two? Or You know, um, I used to try to be specific about it. And I just got to the point where it was like, I can't tell, you know, I'd play something for somebody and they'd be like, oh yeah, that sounds like seven dust. And then I'd be like, okay, cool. And then I would demo out a vocal idea and then they'd listen to it. They'd be like, oh no, no, that, that sounds like projected. I'm like, well, try to imagine LeJean singing it instead of me singing it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, it's, it's kind of one common thing. It's uh, and it's weird too. Cause you know, sometimes I borrow from, I mean, we actually borrowed from a couple songs for the last Seven Dust record. You know, I had what I thought would be Seven Dust stuff, and then I had what I thought would be projected stuff. And I, I think I went into the wrong folder and I hit play, and <laughs> Morgan was like, yeah, we're doing that one. I was like, oh, man, that was actually supposed to be a projected song. But okay, that's cool. <laughs> and we ended up doing it, you know. Um, I, try to keep them, I try to keep a line in the sand a little bit, but it's loose because you never really can tell, you know. I, I don't... I don't really just sit down and try to write for a specific reason or, or a specific idea. Um, I just write to write. You know, some days it's it could be a mellow song. Some days it could be, you know, a total headhunter, you know, full-blown metal thing. And, you know, a lot of days there's a lot of a lot of in-between, you know, because the world of Seven Dust is, is cool how many uh, how many variables we can, we can pull off, you know. I mean, there's not many bands I know that have the fans who – can accept Angel Sun and can accept a Splinter or a Faithless or a Rumblefish, you know, 
their acceptance to anything that we try kind of opens up it opens up the avenue in so many different ways and that's kind of the same mentality that i take with projected the only thing that i'm super super concerned with um with projected and it, it is a it's a very intentional thing um we don't use much programming if any at all in the projected world because we use a lot of those kind of layers and that kind of a vibe in the seven dust world so you know, for me, it's kind of it's kind of nice to kind of just strip it down and just have it be just you know drums, bass, vocals, and guitars. Um, and I do love what we do in Seven Dust too. So for me, that's kind of the biggest difference between the two, at least with the approach to you know if I'm writing a song and there's programming in it, it would probably lean more towards Seven Dust than if it was just a straight raw rock song. Yeah. Well, how did uh, how did you come to uh you know, had you sang before projected or how was it taking the mic over for this one? Man, you know, it's funny back when we first started seven us, you know, Morgan and myself had every intention of me being the singer for the band. (laughs) And I just, I wasn't ready, you know, because I was a converted drummer and it's one thing to, you know, to get out from behind the drums and to pick up the guitar and write. Mm -hmm. And then it's another thing to actually stand up on stage and, you know, play and then it's an extra thing, you know, to be able to play and sing. I mean, my hat's off to Dave Grohl for being able to just, you know, one day go from the drummer in one of the biggest bands in the world to becoming, you know, arguably the Tom Petty of our era. I mean, yeah. he's written more hits since he's left Nirvana. I mean, I don't think anybody thought he was going to do anything with the Foo Fighters. And, you know, now they're playing the O2 Arena and Wembley and all kinds of crazy stuff. So. For me, yeah, it was uh, it was definitely twenty years in the making, <laughs> you know. Because back when we cut the first Seven Dust demos, I sang on them, and I, I just I didn't have the confidence, you know. It was like I knew what I wanted to do, but I just I didn't know how to focus on both the guitar playing and being a singer. Because it's one thing to be a singer, and then it's a completely different thing to be a frontman. Um, all of us, I mean, everyone in Seven Dust can go in the studio, and we could probably sing lead on a record. It takes a special individual to be able to go up there and do what Lejean does with a crowd, you know, because that's where he shines the most. I mean, he kills it in the studio, no question about it. But the way he interacts and the way he opens up and the way he, you know, talks to the crowd is, uh, you know, I've, I've taken notes because I don't know what kind of a front man I am. I know what kind of a singer I am. And I think that's the thing that I'm worried about the most. <laughs> it's funny, you know, Mark's like, when are you going to tour this thing? I'm like, I don't know. But I'm not worried about playing the parts. I'm worried about what happens in between the parts, like when there's nothing going on. He's like, yeah. He was like, same thing with me, man. It's not an easy thing to do. You know, it's like some people get it and some people don't. Um, And I think that's why a lot of bands, you know, a lot of people, you know, always wonder why does this band, you know, why were they so successful? And why was this band who was equally musically as good just doesn't have that connect factor? And I think it does come down to the front man a, a lot of times, you know, being personable and. I'm trying to open up with it, but you know, it's, it's, it was definitely interesting on the first, the first go around with projected cause I knew what my voice sounded like and I've never been a fan of it. So I was like, I need to figure out how to get this to a point where I actually kind of like it <laughs> so that I don't delete files as I'm going through the record. Cause there were a lot of times where I'm like, I'm, I called E-Rock. He was over rehearsing with Mark doing Tremonti stuff. You know, I'm like, dude, you better get back here fast because I'm fixing to delete this whole song. And he's like, no, don't. That's my favorite song on the record. Let me at least hear it. And he got it and he played it. I played it for him. And he just looks at me. He's like, you're an idiot. And I was like, really? And he goes, dude, it's awesome. And I'm like, okay, maybe I'm just inside my head too much, you know. 
but yeah, it's it's not an easy thing. I mean, my hats off to every singer and front front man in the world because it's uh, it's fun, but it's it's a lot to pay attention to. You know, I remember talking with Mark. You know, when he took Tremonti out for the first time, he was like, "You got to take care of yourself, man." It was like it's a totally different thing. It's one thing to go out there and play guitar and you know be up until four o'clock in the morning and then get up and do a show the next day. He goes, "If you're the singer, you ain't gonna be doing a whole lot of that." And I was like, "Yeah, I've been." I mean, kind of planning for that, you know, because um, it's it's a lot of work. And, you know, you get excited when you get in the studio, too. And singers always sound great when they're at the top of what's humanly possible. You know, that desperation at the, the second or the last note in your range. But you can't live there the whole time. You can't do things that are, you know, too tough to pull off. I mean, we learned that years ago in the world of seven us. You know, a lot of songs we were like, whoa. What were we thinking? <laughs> you get after our tour and you try to do it 50 times in a row and we're all just shaking our heads going, all right, note to self. <laughs> Stop trying to impress everyone. Just yeah. do something that's, uh, you know, a little more in the wheelhouse. So. Was there a chance we'll ever hear those demos of you singing those early Seven Dust songs? <laughs> uh, you know what? <laughs> that's funny that you mentioned that because I was actually, um, my vocal booth in my studio is my closet. And... <laughs> I was going through a bunch of stuff, and I saw this thing, and I'm holding it in my hand right now. It says John Connolly, and I was like, what the hell is this? And it is the first four songs on a uh, half-inch reel. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the tape looks like it's in pretty good shape, and uh, we've actually got the tape, with the uh, vocal tracks, guitar tracks, all that good stuff, and this is the first three songs, including Black. Wow. So. Maybe. <laughs> we'll be in the box set. <laughs> yeah, right? Uh, yeah, I couldn't believe that I still had this thing. Yeah. Because you know, a lot of people have asked me that. They're like, where are the demos for that? I'm like, yeah, I don't know. And, uh, you know, we had cassettes, of course, back then. And then, you know, CDs were just kind of a new thing. So I'm sure we had a couple CDs. But, you know, I only sang on the demos. I mean, it. it I was the singer in the band for, like, 13 seconds, you know, long yeah. enough to realize, okay, we need to get someone for real. <laughs> and, uh, you know, Morgan was like, hey, man, I know this guy. He's singing, uh, he's singing with this band called Body and Soul. And we went and we saw he was playing at this, this steakhouse, um, at, which was really weird. They had like a little corner stage. And, you know, I see this dude with dreadlocks get up there. And I was like, all right, cool. And he just he opened his mouth and we went, holy shit, that's our singer. Yeah, you know, I was like, now I can get back to songwriting and try to figure out how to play the guitar. <laughs> <laughs> well, going back to projected, is there anything else besides the concept theme that people can look forward to that might be a little bit different about this album than the first one? Um, man, so much. <laughs> it's a uh, it's an evolution in a lot of ways. Um, like I said, it's I think the tone of the record is a little more stripped down, a little bit more raw, a little bit more in your face. Um, but we challenged ourselves on, on every level. Um, we upped the ante on everything, you know, sometimes in the world of, you know, making music with Alter Bridge and Seven Dust and things like that, you kind of look at, you know, what's, what's realistic, what can you actually take out there and actually pull off every night? Um, and it's one thing to be the guitar player and singing backups. And then it's another thing to be the guitar player and, you know, actually sing lead over the top of it. Um, and I told myself, you know, Mark was like, make sure you can sing and play all this stuff before you, you know, you commit it to, to history. <laughs> and I did do that. 
uh, <laughs> I didn't do that at all. A lot of this stuff is like super, super challenging to play, but you know, it was fun to do, you know, and, and I went through afterwards and I connected all the dots and, uh, you know, I made sure that I could play and sing everything and divvy up the parts accordingly and all that good stuff. But yeah, it's, it's, um, it, it kind of takes, it takes up where the last record left off. You know, last record was just an experiment to see if we could even do it. You know, what's it going to sound like? What's the vibe going to be? You know, is it going to be cool? Are we going to hate it? And I think we were all pretty surprised. We were like, wow, this is a, you know, this is something that kind of has its own uh, unique thing about it. So we took this one and we just kind of really, really pushed it. And uh, we pushed it as far as, you know, humanly possible in a lot of ways. But yeah, it's, it's definitely, uh, it's definitely an evolution for sure. Are you guys planning on taking this on the road? I know you said, you know, obviously the schedule's got to work out between three different bands, but. Yeah. And, you know, the, th the cool thing about this setup, though, is um, we have Backpack on board. So I have a lot more help and I have a team that can help facilitate it. You know, that was the other thing about the first record. You know, the first record we did out of the house. I mean, we did the whole pre-sale out of the house. You know, I'm going back and forth to the mail place, you know five, six times a week. My wife is helping me pack boxes. And, you know, all in the meantime, I'm kind of working on demos for the new Seven Dust record. And that's kind of the same process that we got going on right now. Because um, even if Seven Dust isn't touring, you know, we're active. We're actually working up ideas. LeJohn's singing. He's got a vocal setup in his house. And we're, uh, we're dumping all these ideas into Dropbox. You know, there's probably 30 or 40 different things to choose from, you know, so we've started the process, Morgan's tracking drums and all that good stuff. So while all that's happening, I'm so thankful that I don't have to deal with a lot of the stuff, you know, just setting up the website, setting up the pre-sale and doing all of the day-to-day the -day things on the first record. It was a little overwhelming, you know, because I think we, uh, in some ways, I think we sold ourselves a little short. You know, because we said, ah, oh, you know, it'll be cool. We sell a few hundred copies or whatever. And then, you know, the pre-sale, I mean, I've, I've got a picture somewhere. The whole front room, dining room, living room area of my house was just like stacked with all these boxes everywhere. And I was like, well, we need a staff. Yeah. <laughs> so on this record, we said, you know what? I think a strategic partner is probably the right move because uh, as much as I want to do it, it's just not physically possible to do it. So... With taking that into consideration, um, you know, the, the setup process was a lot more thought out. Uh, that's kind of why it's taken as long as it's taken, only because, you know, we got to dial everything in. we got to get all of the, the pre-sale elements in place, all of the merch elements, all of the, you know, user video, how are we going to do the unveiling, what's going to be unveiled at what stage. So, um, you know, theoretically speaking, I think the pre-sale should be up within the next few weeks. He's, he's saying, you know, we'll do the teaser videos. Uh, now and then, uh, you know, beginning of May, we should have a lot more content and, and things that are, you know, going to be tangible where people can physically look at it. But that also, uh, you know, means it's probably going to be another month or so. You know, I'm, I'm guessing probably late June, early July when it's physically released. Um, the new Seven Dust record probably won't come out until somewhere around this time next year, just because of the schedules that we've got going on. Clint's going out with Seether um, to help them out on tour for a bit. So he's got a few months worth of guitar duties he's getting ready to start. And we got to make the record and we got to record the record. So working around those kind of schedules, there's, there's some openings. You know, as soon as I get a release date, um, we're going to sit down with the booking agents and say, look, you know, we're not going to go out on a six-month tour. 
but we would definitely entertain a six-week tour or, you know, do a few weeks here, 10 days there, five days here, you know, just be able to do something to have fun with it because it is a lot of fun. We do really enjoy uh, making music together. I mean, even when we, we flew to L.A. to do the, uh, you know, the video content of what you, you see in the teaser video, it was, yes. uh, it was just a blast. We just had such a good time. So we said, all right, let's go out there and, uh, you know, see if we don't fall on our face. <laughs> we might, you know, but either way. <laughs> Nice. What do you are you planning? You hope they're headline shows, or would you like to jump on with another band or something? You know, it, we we kind of go back and forth. I mean, there's an argument for doing the headline show, but I think for me, um, it would be nice to start with a handful of like you know, twenty five thirty minute sets to kind of get my feet under me a little bit before you just go full into a ninety minute set. Um, you know, durability of the voice is something that you know when you're off the road. It always comes into question. You know, we do a one-off show with Seven Dust, and I'm not singing lead, and my voice is completely spent the next day. Now, if I were to go out for five weeks, you know, past the first two or three days, you feel really, really strong. And I have a feeling the same thing would happen with Projected, but it would be nice to be able to take some baby steps into it. You know, ideally, go out there and do an opening slot on something. And then, you know, see how it goes. Take it take it for what it is. And once I get my head wrapped around the maintenance of what I would have to do vocally, um, it's just a lot more, you know, it's just so much more to think about, you know, because if I break a string on a guitar, I grab another guitar. And Guitar Tech throws a string on it, and I'm ready to go in about five, ten minutes. But you blow your voice out. <laughs> you got to take a knee for a few days. You know, I blew my voice out making this uh, twice. And it was semi-intentional, only because I really enjoy the way my voice sounds when I'm on the other side of it. Yeah. <laughs> it sets, you know, rag it out to the point where you can't physically talk, take take the weekend off, and then hit it back on Monday, and you're like, oh, it sounds so good. Completely improper vocal technique, by the way. Like, I don't recommend anyone doing that, all right? Don't try that at home. <laughs> yeah, right? <clears throat> but, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's something where, you know, if we did it, regardless of how we did it, I've already told the guys, look, we're going to need some pretty intensive rehearsal time only because I really want to lean on this thing as hard as I can um, within reason and kind of push it to the, to the limits. Because the last thing I want to do is get out there and overcommit, you know, start doing four or five days a week of headline shows and then lose your voice on the fourth or the fifth day and be like, no, oh, shit, what do we do? Cancel? You know, <laughs> E-Rock, you want to sing lead? Yeah. <laughs> you know. Vinny can sing too, so you know we we definitely got a couple of guys in the band that, that can pick up the slack. But but yeah, I mean you know I think uh, I think the closer we get to actually the release date and the more work I actually put in on my end, I think either option would be would be kind of cool. But I think the opening thing makes the most sense, at least to kind of get the name kind of started and get the ball rolling. Definitely. You know, we'd even actually talked about uh, you know at some point in time, you know, Mark's like. Coming open for us, man. Iraq will do double duty, and you know you can divvy up vocals between. Uh, you know, with with Tremonti now, um, it's a little different because he's got all of the backup duties, uh, being that Wolfie's no longer with him. Mm -hmm. But with projected, you know, Vinny can sing like a bird. He's like the Michael Anthony of the band, so we don't sell him short either. We're like, we know he can pick up, you know, a ton of stuff, and he enjoys singing. So, you know, it would definitely be something that uh that would be a cool option for you know. Projected and maybe Tremonti to go out and do do a handful of dates at some point. Definitely. Yeah, I guess you could also have Clint call in a favor for you with Seether. 
Yeah, you know, it's funny. Someone joked about that. They're like, you should go open up for Cedar. I'm like, oh, crap. <laughs> okay, that means like, I got to go, like, soon. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, you know, you never know what's going to happen. You know, we, once we put the feelers out there and we get the agents to start talking with each other, you know, I'm sure every every different opportunity and option under, under the sun will come up, and we just have to figure out what makes the most sense and then what we're available for, too. Yeah. Um, because AB is pretty busy. They've got uh, they've got some openings, but the last thing I want to do is have Flip come you know home from a six week European tour and then go out for three weeks and then have to do a U.S. tour right after that. I mean, you can't tour for you know three or four months straight. Yeah. So you know, we're going to pick and choose our battles, you know. But it, it should be a lot of fun, and we definitely want to play. There's no doubt about it. Well, uh, switching gears a bit, um, I know you you commented and shared on our interview with Gene Simmons about you know who he, you know, Spotify and streaming and, you know, who he th- thinks is uh, responsible for. Uh, what do you think about all that? You know, I got to be honest with you, man. Kiss is like, the reason I'm here today is because of Kiss. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, they're great. Yeah. You know, I was eight years old walking through the record store and I saw Kiss Alive 2 and I turned the bat over on the, I mean, I've got three copies of Kiss Alive 2 in the house right now and they're all autographed. <laughs> you know, it's one of those things like everyone knew that that was like my first record. Yeah. And fans, they, you know, they've given me so many cool gifts with these. But just seeing, I, I didn't even, I, I had no idea what they sounded like. You know, just seeing the back cover of the stage with the drum riser and the flames and his bat wing on fire and all that stuff. And I was like, what? I mean, it completely changed my life. So I understand where he's coming from, but I can't say I agree with it 100% only because, uh, you know, the computer's a double-edged sword. It's like, yeah, I understand that streaming is, it doesn't pay the artist what it should. Um, there, it's getting better. And I think the more services that are in the game, um, the more incentive there is for the, you know, the streaming services to actually come our way a little bit. So, yeah, there's a huge negative with that. But the positive is, um, you know, when I released the first projected record, I honestly didn't know what the hell I was doing, but I knew I needed to get on social media. So you set up Facebook pages, you set up Twitter, you set up Instagram, all that good stuff. And uh, I didn't even have Instagram then, but I had my own personal one. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I took baby steps into it because I wasn't even on Facebook before projected. I mean, I started Facebook, I think, in 2000 and end of 2011 beginning of 2012 yeah so for me the whole social media thing you know i was kind of i was a late bloomer but it was weird because when we did the projected record you know i was either gonna do you know TuneCore or cd baby or something like that and i ended up doing the cd baby thing and you know you got an option you know check the box do you want to do worldwide distribution sure you know i don't know 1999 a year or something like that i was like yeah, okay and <laughs> We set it out there and, you know, you had opportunities to go with like Django and Pandora and all these, you know, these crazy service slacker and stuff that I didn't even know existed. So, of course, I'm like, all right, check this, check this, check this, check this. And we launched the record and I realized there were people that were being introduced to Seven Dust in Indonesia because they picked up the projected record. Wow. You know, and I sat there and I thought about that for a second. I was like. We used to stand out in front of venues, you know, in the band before this with CDs and flyers and just pass them out to people. And we think it was, you know, a monumental night when we gave out 500 flyers. Yeah. You know, I had 500 people in Indonesia 
that were introduced to Projected and then a handful that were introduced to Seven Dust, all because I had checked a little box on, you know, my Django thing or whatever it was that I was doing. I mean, I didn't even know what I was doing. And all of a sudden, you know, six months later, you know, my manager's going, have you looked at your insights? And I was like, I don't even know how to look at insights. And he goes, let me show you your global map right now. And you could pin it and you could see all the exposure that the computer had given you. And a lot of, a lot of people were coming through Spotify. A lot of people were coming through, it wasn't Apple Music back then because it, it didn't even exist. But through all of this, this, you know, social media and sharing and stuff like that, the exposure rate was exponential. Um, you know, our, the guy who's helping us out right now, uh, he actually works with, uh, he works with Alterbridge and they just took a tour of Australia <laughs> and he's, he's, you know, he's just taking pictures, sending them to me. He's like, dude, the amount of projected charts I'm seeing over here is insane because they're everywhere. Wow. I'm like, projectors never played there. Seven us has played in Australia like three times, you know. So on one hand, I get it and I understand what he's saying, but I don't, I don't know if you can blame it on the fans. You know, you can blame it on the mechanisms to which the fans are going to be exposed to music. And at the end of the day, it's not a whole lot different from radio stations and stuff. It's a lot more efficient. Everyone has it on their phone. So, yeah, I get that point. But a good song is a good song. I mean, if you put something out there and people dig it, they're going to share it. You know, if you put money into radio, you put money into marketing, you put money into whatever you want to do, no different from the way that they used to do it back in the day. I mean, radio was, you know, I'm sorry, radio's pay to play. I mean, you're going to pay an indie, you're going to pay a radio, you know, promoter to go there and make sure that, you know, you're going to be, you're going to get your foot in the door, you know, depending on how much money you want to spend and how, you know, how you want to approach these things. It's, it's all just, it's kind of up to you, but I think the computer has so many advantages for the artist, as long as you've got something that people want to hear. Mm. If your song sucks, you can spend all the money in the world and you might be able to get you know, yourself in the top 20 on active rock. But if your song is great and you share it around and it gets on YouTube, I mean, how many people, I mean, hell, the singer for Journey got his gig because of YouTube. Yeah, you know, Neil Sean exactly. stumbled across his video <laughs> on YouTube, and now he's a singer for Journey. Yeah, you know, just went went to the Hall of Fame induction, and I'm sitting there thinking to myself, that could never have happened without these things. So don't blame the fan, and don't hate the fan for taking advantage of all of the tools, you know, and all of the uh, the, the mechanisms. Um, and I totally appreciate where he's coming from. I just I tend not to agree with it. You know, even when it comes down to the efficiency of making the music, I mean, you know, 20 years ago, it, it, no bands didn't think anything of spending, you know, half a million dollars to make a record, then shoot another video for three or four hundred grand, then put two and a half million dollars worth of marketing into the record, and then you pay for radio, and then you got to do tour support, either through the label or what now has become what people call buy-ons and stuff like that. I mean, you'd spend a fortune. And you might get a gold record and you might end up unrecouped. You know, projected, we made the whole thing for a fraction of what it cost us because we did the majority of it in the house. You know, we went to a real studio and tracked drums and tracked all the loud guitars and we did the same thing on this record because, you know, my firm fundamental belief is the sound of the record itself is going to be the sound of the room where you track your drums. And as long as you have something that's super 
super cool and, and easy to control, um, everything kind of falls into place after that. You know, I mean, literally, the closet in my studio, which I'm looking at right now, that's my vocal booth. You know, I've got the computer sitting on my desk, and I walk in there. You know, there's curtains all over the walls. We've got it treated. Um, you know, it's it's a budget version of it, but, you know, the gear that you're plugging into is the same thing that you would use in a regular studio. You know, same software, same guitar amps, all that good stuff. You know, I'm, I don't think anything of micing a cabinet or two out in the garage and, you know, using real amps and stuff. I mean, I've got a Kemper now, but the only profiles that I use in the Kemper are stuff that I've built myself. I don't actually use any of the, the stock ones. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's all about efficiency. And I think if you look at the computer as an enemy, you know, it, it can definitely be that. Because I'm not going to lie, I went through a two or three year period where it was depressing. You know, it was like, shit, man, I mean, Napster and file sharing and all this other stuff. And then all of a sudden I went and I made a record. And I realized how efficient and how much reach the simplest things could get you. You know, Facebook's free and people complain about boosting posts and stuff like that all the time. I'm like, you can't complain about a free platform. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they have to pay for it somehow or another. Now, I don't typically boost posts or anything like that, but I'm not going to say that when we didn't release the first projected record, I didn't. You know, if there was video content to share, hell yeah, I'm going to boost it. 20 bucks a week? Okay. Yeah. You know, if it exposes me to more people, that's fine. You know, I mean, we do very, very little promotion like I didn't promote the record after you know probably six months that it was out because we were moving into you know the whole world of seven dust again and it kind of made sense because it was like all right I don't want them to focus on that anymore I want them to focus on what's what's new what's coming up you know we did that it's over said and done but you know I, I, I love Gene to death I mean I wouldn't be here without him and Kiss um, but I can't really agree 100% with it, only because I do things a little outside the box. I mean, both these projected records, if you knew how much it cost to do both of them, and you knew how much we got out of the opposite side of it, you know, if he saw the math, he'd probably sit down and be like, okay, well, you're the anomaly, and the only reason that it happened is because you had an established band. And that might be true, you know, between Creed and Alter Bridge and Tremonti and, and Seven Dust, I know that there's a lot of you know, a lot of built-in fans, and I never discredit that, but a lot of people had no idea that any of the guys were in the band, <laughs> yeah. so they didn't find out until after the fact, you know, <laughs> so I get it, I get it, I just, I can't buy into it, you know, I think it's a positive time for, for musicians, as long as you're not willing to sign some ridiculous 360 deal, you know, ball and chain, anchor yourself for the rest of your life to a team of people that may or may not do well for you. You know, you got to be smart, you know, hire someone who's passionate about your band and, you know, potentially could be your manager. Hire a good business manager and make sure you got a good attorney. At the end of the day, just write really good music, you know, as, as good as you can, because a good song will basically start the ball rolling. You know, you might not sell 10 million records, but you might, you never know, or you might have. 10 million, you know, streams or downloads or whatever. And if you're a touring band, you know, the more you can get your name out there and the more you can get people to at least, you know, get your name on the map, you know, get, get them on your radar. I mean, there's so much out there, but there's, you know, that's kind of the cool thing is it's like people don't buy music quite like they used to, but they still go to concerts. I mean, every concert that I've been to, I took my daughter to 21 Pilots. I couldn't believe how many people were there. Yeah. Freaked me out. 
I was like, people still go to shows. And trust me, I bought a bunch of merch, and <laughs> they definitely are making some money. <laughs> so, you know, I mean, for rock bands, yeah, it might be a little bit trickier and harder, but I mean, when hasn't it been? I mean, it's all cyclical with heavy music. You know, I think, I think it takes a band to kind of break out of the norm and do something a little left to center to kind of shake things up again. You know, when Nirvana came around, it was like, holy crap, they killed the whole L.A. scene, but they also gave a huge boost to the whole Seattle scene. I mean, all of a sudden, then you had Soundgarden took off, Alice in Chains took off. I mean, all these other bands that no one was really paying attention to, you know. So you go through these these waves of stuff, you know. And uh, I think we're just in a little bit of a lull right now. But, I mean, crap, Metallica just went platinum. The yeah. record's only been out since, you know, November, and everyone's saying no one buys records. Yeah, yeah they sure do. They definitely bought that record. I own a copy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, going way back... I'm a huge fan of Butch Walker and oh, yeah. he worked with you guys on seasons and I just wondered what kind of, you know, outside input he brought in since he kind of comes from a different world than seven dust. You know, the funny story about Butch is, uh, you're going to love this one. Uh, the reason that we brought him in for seasons, there were two reasons. Um, number one animosity, um, our label hated it. They did not like animosity at all. they, I mean, they, it wasn't a fight, but it was a struggle. I mean, we, we sent nine songs in. We sent Dead Sit in. They didn't hear it as a single. We sent Trust in. Didn't hear it as a single. Crucified in. Didn't hear it as a single. Follow it. And it was like, shine. It's got to be a single, right? No, nope, they didn't like it. And I was like, you got to be kidding me. So at that, that was the point where I think we realized we're in trouble because we're with a team and a group of people who believed in us majorly on the first record but they don't understand us on our third record. And our third record for us was, I thought, an astronomical leap forward. You know, going from the debut to home was a step, and then going from home to animosity, I thought, was like 20 steps. But I think we got 10 steps in front of where they were hoping that the band was going to end up. So, you know, we approached them on Seasons and said, look, we want to use uh, Ben Gross again. And they said, no. And said, we won't even fund the record if you bring Ben Gross in. We don't want him to have a part in it. And I love Ben. He's one of my favorite engineers. Definitely one of my favorite mixing engineers ever. So for me, it was like, all right, now, now we're taking hits. <laughs> now, now we're taking some body blows here. So, you know, we started talking. We said, all right, what's the problem with, with Ben? And they said, well, you know, you can get an engineer who's going to make it sound great. We want you to work with a, a songwriting producer. So we said, okay. Why don't we work with the guy who helped us with our demos before we got the first record? Butch actually did the demos mm -hmm. that got a record deal. Oh. So we said, you like the first record so much, why don't we get Butch Walker? And they were like, he did the demos? I said, yeah, he was crucial in the development of that first record. Now granted, it was still an embryo and we still didn't really know what we were tapping into, but he was a huge part of that, you know? So it was an easy pick for us going into seasons because we knew there was no getting to know you. You know what I mean? We'd been to his house. He, out at his mom's house out in Rome, Georgia, you know, and there we are in the garage, you know, making demos and doing all this stuff. So it was like just going to the studio was like, all right, there's no learning curve here. We just get to work. And uh, he's a tremendous talent. You know, he's a super talented songwriter. He's a great singer, great guitar player, and he's just genuinely a really, really good dude. So it was like, okay. This would be one of the easier records we could possibly make. 
And the ironic part was it was uh, also the record that was the last record we did with TBT. Because at that point, we were actively trying to figure, all right, you know, if they don't get this, then they just don't get us. Mm -hmm. That was kind of at a time where, like, the strokes, the hives, you know, the killers, anything that was the something was really, really popular. (laughs) And, you know, they're all wearing cardigans and stuff like that. And it's like, okay, that's cool. But that's not us. Like, we've never been that. And I think they kind of wanted us to be more of one of those kind of new hip and modern bands. And the, the one thing that I, I will say about Seven Dust is we've always just been us. Yeah. Like, we haven't sat down and said, we're going to write a pop record or we're going to write a this record. The only time we ever did that, like I said, was when we said, we're going to do an acoustic record. And we're actually going to make it cool. We're going to bite the fans in, let them pick the six songs that we're going to, you know, re-record and uh you know i mean for us it it was it was so disheartening but you know when we finished seasons tbt was super excited about it so said okay we at least survived that but i think they still were looking for us to be something that we really weren't Mm -hmm. you know i mean we never sit down and say look this is the kind of record we're going to make all right it's really difficult in the world of seven us you know you've got me i'm a metalhead you know i grew up on metallica and pantera so there's always that tip that's going to come in for me you know clint's more of the guy who was in the metal world but he's also you know a big nine inch nails fan then you got morgan who leans further towards the nine inch nail stuff but you know he's into a lot of the more current newer bands um you know he introduces me to stuff all the time that i never knew existed and then you got lejean who's all over the map you know he's very r&b but he's very in tune with popular music and a lot of country music and then you got vinnie who listens to country and ACDC and old school rock. So you've got all these different elements and, you know, you never really know what kind of record you're going to make until you're around seven or eight songs in and we usually stand back and go, huh. <laughs> so that's what it's going to be like. And then you go, okay. You know, we never sat down on cold day memory and said, you know, we're going to try to be Omega heavy, but we're going to try to be Omega pop. You know, those elements are always going to be in there. Mm-hmm. You know, even on C, there's super heavy songs like Face to Face and Suffocate, but then you got, you know, you've got so many other elements on that record. But yeah, I mean, Butch was, uh, Butch was a, a huge step in the progression of the band twice. Yeah. You know, four albums removed. And uh, I'd actually like to work with him again, you know, at least, even if it was just on a, on a songwriting point of view, you know, just sat, sit down and do a couple writing sessions just because he's, he's just a super creative dude, you know. Well, uh, you were talking about what each guy listened to and brought to the band. Uh, how was it working with Sonny Mayo, and what what did he bring? And uh, you know, talk about that for a bit. Sonny was awesome. I mean, he came in at a time where you know, with Clint leaving, it it wasn't easy at first. I mm-hmm. mean, it, it it was tough. You know, I mean, we had to sit down. The four of us kind of looked at each other, and we said, "All right, let's just kind of talk about the elephant in the room." Does anyone else want to walk away from this right now? Because if you know, one or two guys were kind of questioning or thinking about staying, you know, it's like, all right, if one leaves, we can probably pull this off. But we weren't even sure. I mean, there's a lot of self-doubt that goes within, you know, not only were we just getting out of the TBT, so we were unsigned, which was a positive thing. You know, at the time that it happened, you look at it and you're like, okay, now we can at least move on and, and maybe get with a team who doesn't, you know, think we should be 
you know, the killers. <laughs> but then Clint left and we were like, oh man, okay. So now we don't have a label and, you know, we don't have Clint. And, you know, there was discussion, what are we going to do? We're going to do the cattle call. We're going to get a hundred guitar players in there and play black a hundred times with a hundred different people and then have, you know, each guy in the band want a different dude, you know, and I could see where it was going to be going. And, you know, on top of that, you're trying to write because you know that you're going to be hopping in the studio real soon. So, you know, trying to be creative and then thinking about the business stuff all at the same time with a pregnant wife. <laughs> she was seven months pregnant at the time. Wow. You know, it was like, okay, there's so much on my plate. And I just kind of shut down for a bit. I went into hyper, I'm just going to write mode and I'm going to, you know, keep the household moving forward and I'm not really going to engage into the who's going to be our guitar player question. And Joe Miller, who was managing us at the time and Morgan, they called me and they were like, look, you know, we need to kind of get moving on this. We need to figure out who's going to be a replacement. I was like, I just don't have it in me to go into a rehearsal room and play black a hundred times. I, I, I don't want to do it. And I think it was Morgan. He was like, well, hell, why don't we just get someone like Sonny Mayo? And I was like, done. <laughs> I was like, get bored with him. We knew him. He was a friend. He's, he's a brother. He was a brother then. He still is now. You know, um, so it, it was, uh, I was like, okay. And I think we called Vinny LeJean and said, what do you think about Sonny? And we're like, well, let's bring him in and, you know, see how everything vibes out. And we were like, okay. You know, we had already decided we were going to make the record down here in Orlando, um, which was a godsend for me since I could be home every night. Yeah. Um, but it was awesome. You know, Sonny came and stayed at the house and uh, we just got to work. You know, we set up a Pro Tools rig in my dining room and we'd wake up and we'd make breakfast, have coffee, and then we'd all just go into the dining room and we'd start banging out on drum machines and, you know, little guitar riffs, this, that, and the other thing. He, uh, he was a super, super huge uh, contributor lyrically uh, because he writes a lot of poetry. And, you know, sometimes you're looking for these lines and these phrases and I'm a super cryptic kind of a guy, like almost too cryptic sometimes, you know, and sometimes it's like, all right, we need something a little bit more concise and a little more to the point. And he had a journal. And I remember Morgan grabbed it and was like, do you mind if I look at it? He was like, no, man. And we were like, this is great. You know, I was like, can we use some of this stuff? And he was like, yeah, whatever you want. So it was awesome because it was like, all right, one of our, you know, one of our elements, you know, lyrically, Clint is, he's a huge contributor to, to the picture. So that was one of the things that it was like, all right, I'm going to be singing back up, which is something that I've done a very little amount of, you know, but I had to kind of, you know, shadow most of what Lejean was going to be doing. Morgan was going to be singing too. You know, I need to kind of step up the guitar game a little bit and I need to step up the lyric game, you know, for, so for Sonny, it was awesome because he was contributing riffs, but he was also, you know, just, you know, that book, we'd open up the journal and just be like, wow, okay, <laughs> yeah. you know, let's use this, let's use that. But it was so cool because it was like, it was just sitting there on the table and everyone had their little notebook and everything, you know, but it was, it was, uh, you know, it was a tough process for us to get through and make that record. But I think we really surprised ourselves because, you know, a lot of people had kind of written us off, you know, they said, all right, 2005, they're out of their record deal and Clint left the band. It's over, you know, there's cracks in the foundation. So for us, it was like, you know, trial by fire. It was almost like, okay, 
this is back to 1995, 1996, where we were on sign and we to prove ourselves all over again. But I think we learned a lot of stuff along the way, you know, and the friendship that we had with Sonny and, and the fact that he just clicked so quickly, you know, he's such a great guitar player and he's such a, he's just a good soul, you know, it made life so much easier for us. So yeah, you know, we, we did it and knocked it out in the house and went, okay, I guess we can still do this, you know. Well, you guys recently did the 20th anniversary of the debut show. Is there any chance you guys might do other albums in their entirety in the future? I think so. You know, I mean, it's funny. We kind of joked around about that because someone was like, oh, you need to do, uh, you know, you need to do Home. And I'm like, well, in 2019 we might because <laughs> that's when it would be, uh, you know, 20 years old. We, we were on like a every other year, you know, release. So, yeah, I mean, it's, it's definitely something that I think we would entertain, you know, if there was interest in it. Um, you know, the, the anniversary show in Atlanta was so much fun. You know, it was like, okay, I mean, let's let's at least keep it on the radar and, you know, keep keep it in the mix. I mean, I mean, I, I don't know if, you know, by the time we get to the Alpha 20-year reunion, you know, we're going to be wanting to jump off drum risers and stuff. <laughs> we'll do an acoustic version of Alpha, you know, where we could all sit in, on stools and in, you know, lounge chairs. <laughs> well, is the acoustic thing something that's always kind of out there because you guys have done the album you've done the full tours a couple of times. Is that something that might happen again in the future? I think so. You know, I think it was, um, I know for me personally, you know, it's funny cause it's back to the whole jumping off the drum riser when you're 70 years old, you know, we joke around all the time. We're like, you know, how long is seven us going to go for me doing the time travelers and bonfires thing? It was interesting because it was received so well and our fans enjoyed it so much that I went, I mean, I could do that forever. Um, you know, vocally, sure. I mean, it might be a challenge for us to do some of the stuff, but you know, if you're not physically beating the, beating the crap out of yourself, we can do the acoustic thing all the time. Um, you know, it's crazy when you when we first started doing the acoustic thing, you walk off stage and like, I don't even need to take a shower or nothing. Like I'm not <laughs> like, like, you know, during the electric set, you know, we're fighting, all right, who's going in the shower first. Cause we're just dying by the time we get off the stage. But, but yeah, I think that acoustic element is, um, it's, uh, you know, if Slayer were to try to do it, I think their fans would revolt. You know, a lot of heavy bands, when they try to do those things, it just doesn't work. But our fans have been so receptive ever since back, you know, when we did Angel Sun. And we, we got really lucky with it. You know, we did the South Side double wide thing and they loved it. And then we did this and we took it out on a super, super extensive tour and they loved it even more. So it's cool to have that element, you know, and uh, it's cool to be able to kind of shift you know, we joke around it. We're like, we should do some electric versions of some of the songs on Time Travelers and Bonfires. Do the opposite of what <laughs> yeah. we did. Right. Um, instead of acoustifying them, let's, let's get them up there and just rage on them, you know, and have just really free people out. Um, but I, I love that element, you know. There's something really cool about just sitting down with an acoustic guitar and just a cool, you know, melody idea. Super stripped down, super in-your-face, super personal. I mean, even when, you know, Clint and myself and LeJean go and do these, you know, we'll, we'll go to the radio station, we'll do Angel Sun or Black or Trust or something like that. It's fun doing that, you know, because it's like, it's just a different version and a different element of, of what the biggest, you know, the biggest thing is with the seven of us. And it's just, it's just part of the big picture. So, yeah, I mean, I think the acoustic thing is something that we'll always tap into. Yeah. Well, now on, on this uh, Grammy nomination, did you guys notice a boost in you know recognition or sales or anything 
How did that get, uh, work out for you? You know, it's funny, man. Um, we finally get to do Kill the Flaw, and um, we love the record. We're super proud of the record, but it was kind of one of those records that when we went into it, we were like, well, we're going to do things a little differently. Um, we'd always done like the making of or whether we do the YouTube video webbies and the updates and all kinds of stuff like that. We got to the point where we were like so um, open, so like our fans could see into every day there was something new going up. It might only be a five minute clip of this. It could be us sitting around eating lunch, you know, talking about dumb stuff or whatever. But our fans were so engaged that when we got to kill the flaw, we said, let's do the opposite. Let's, um, let's just go and make a record. Because the funny thing is when the cameras are around, I think James Hetfield said it when they were doing, when they were making another, uh, some kind of monster, you don't realize how it affects you, but it affects you. And it doesn't just affect the way that you are physically maybe either singing something or tracking something, but even the writing process is, is affected by it. Because if, if you know that you're always, all right, I'm on camera, you know, immediately <laughs> you're in your own head, you know. So this time we said, let's just pull all the distractions out and see what kind of a record would happen if we don't have any cameras around. And it's, it's a crazy thing to try to pull in the day of YouTube and the day of, you know, where everyone wants to see what's going on. So I think a lot of the fans were kind of tripped out because we weren't given the video updates. And then when we finished the record, we knew when we were going to release it, but we knew it wasn't going to be as soon as most of the fans thought. So, of course, you know, my, my socials, I'm getting blown up on private messages. You know, people are like, hey, man, I hope everything's okay. Do you guys not like the record? <laughs> I'm like, no, we love the record, but we're just we're doing things differently. And it's like, all right, you know, we're used to these video updates. We haven't heard anything. We haven't seen anything. And it built the anticipation. It kind of did exactly what we were hoping that it was, was going to do. Um, Disturbed did it great. They didn't even announce that they were going to the studio, and all of a sudden, boom, they drop a record. Yeah. You know, they dropped a video, a single, and then the record was out like three or four weeks later. It was like complete shock and awe. We did the opposite. You know, everyone knew that the record was finished, and everyone was like, oh, man, they must not like it. <laughs> must not pull. And we got a call out of the blue. Um, it was right around the, like, we were just getting ready to launch, I think, the pre-sale. And I remember our manager called me and goes, man, I just got a call from Apple. And they want to use thank you for the keynote. And I was like, what? You know, holy crap. I'm like, for what? They're like, we don't know. You know, they just want to use it in part of the keynote presentation. And I was like, okay, how much is this going to cost us? And we're like, they want to pay us. I went, huh? You know, are you kidding me? I'm like, that's like, I mean, people would be killing themselves to be able to buy that spot. Yeah. And I was like, okay, I mean, I hope you said yeah. And he was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I said yes, yeah. So, you know, we fast forward a few months and the record's out and all of a sudden everyone's like, okay, crap. You know, you guys do like the record and it's, you know, completely a different record than everyone thought that it was going to be. And the fans were super receptive to it. And uh, then all of a sudden, you know, keynote thing happens. Well, it hadn't happened, but we'd accepted it. So we knew that it was in the pipeline. And then um, a buddy of mine out in California, it was like the beginning of December or something like that. He posts on Facebook. Uh, he's got his Grammy invitation. And he kind of joked around. He was like, I think it's going to be a lot of Adele and Black Keys. So, you know, probably not going to go this year. And uh, 
I think I commented on the post. I said, yeah, best metal performance, Black Keys, ha, ha, ha. And a couple of guys from Five Finger jumped in, and they were kind of joking around. So this was kind of like something that went on for like three or four days. And, uh, <laughs> you know, my phone is just exploding at 7.30 in the morning. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Is someone died or something, like something's on fire. And I'm sitting there, and I'm looking, and I see the Grammy thing. And I was like, oh, man, who, who is doing this? I mean, for the first five or six hours, I thought I was getting punked because I was like, this is a joke. This is a joke <laughs> that started with me saying, you know, best metal performance, Black Keys. Well, it was just a picture of the Grammys, and people keep – it's like over and over and over. I'm like, how many people know about this joke? So I called Morgan, and he goes, no, dude. He goes, this is for real. And I'm like, no, it's not. And he sends me the picture where it actually had the categories and it had us with the picture in the category. And I went, what? So immediately I hit up my buddy that I was joking around about and I dropped the link in there and he was like, holy crap, because I guess I am going. <laughs> I was <laughs> like, awesome. I have no idea what happened here, you know, but it was such a trip. And then the keynote happened and we, I mean, she got up there and she talked about us and the album cover was up there and we were the music they used for Apple Music and my phone starts blowing up again. You know, and it was just like, holy crap, for two or three days, I mean, my phone was just in nuclear mode, just, you know, just melting down. But those two things were just, oh man, they were really, really huge for us. I mean, we saw a huge, um, not necessarily rise in sales, but a huge rise in like, you know, just interest in the band, a lot of a lot of internet activity, a lot of engagement, a lot of people, you know, hey, I just heard about your band. Oh my God, I can't believe you guys have ten records and this is amazing and all this other good stuff. So those things were huge for us, you know. I mean going to the Grammys was, you know, we wanted to throw up the whole time we were there I and mean, we were walking around in zoot suits. You know, like we don't even know how to act. We're like, holy crap, you know, what if we lose? We're like, what do we win? What are you gonna say? I'm like, holy shit, we don't have that much time because I know they, they give you a few seconds and they start the music and I'm like, all right, who's going to go up there? Like, you go up there. I'm like, what? Who am I going to thank? You know, and then you're sitting there and you're thinking, oh, crap, I don't want to forget anyone. And then this and that. And the other thing happens. So we're sitting there, you know, and uh, we were told Ghost wasn't going to be there. We see the Lamb of God guys. Um, I think they were the only one. Actually, I think, yeah, I think they might have been the only other full band that was there. Um, Slipknot guys weren't there. And we're sitting there, and I'm telling you, we, we see our category coming down the pipe. I'm just like, oh, God, I'm going to throw up. I'm going to throw up on my wife, and she just bought a brand-new dress for this thing, you know. <laughs> and all of a sudden, we see the ghost guys walk in, and Morgan goes, damn it. I went, what? And I looked over there, and I see all the masks, and I'm like, holy shit. Literally, they were in the room for like three minutes, and then the category came up. They announced they won the award. They walked on stage, took their award, walked backstage, and were gone. And we were just like... <gasps> <laughs> wow. what just happened you know so for us it was like okay it's devastating but it's a relief because now it's over and you can kind of get on with the after party and you go to yeah. the show and do all that stuff but it, it was a super cool experience for us and i mean for us it was just um win lose or draw it was i think the coolest thing was just being recognized Definitely. you know because it's one thing to be in the business for as long as we have it's another thing to be in the business as long as we have and have all five original guys in the band who actually still love each other. But then it's another thing when you realize that you actually got recognized by a group of your peers. You know, I don't put a whole lot of stock into the whole Grammy thing as it is, but it is cool to know that, hey, you know, they actually noticed that we've been making music over here. 
you know, you got Megadeth who's been nominated 12 times and they finally won one last yeah. year. I was so happy for them. I was like, yeah. holy crap. You know? But I mean, Pantera, they got nominated three times and never won one, you know, and arguably probably one of the most influential metal bands this side of Metallica, yeah, you know, definitely. so, you know, Lamb of God hasn't won one. I mean, that to me is a travesty. I'm like, you know, people are asking me, like, if you don't win it, who do you want to win? I'm like, Lamb of God, they deserve it. There's nothing not metal about that band. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> they, fit, they fit the metal category in every way, shape, or form, you know. <laughs> and I think it's just a matter of time before they get one because they, if, uh, they deserve it. They really, really do. I noticed that you guys are going to Japan next month for the first time. Like, how is it that you've guys gone 20 years without making it over there? You know, we've had a couple of trips that we were supposed to do. Um, we've always tried to do that. All right, you know, while we're over in Australia, on the way back, we should hit Japan and Hawaii. And for whatever reason, we can't connect the dots. I'm not real sure why or how that's happened. But, um, yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's crazy, right? We finally get a chance to go to Japan and North Korea is like, <laughs> losing his mind, engaging in China yeah. and Japan and all this crap. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly the part of the earth that I want to go and visit right now. Right. You know, uh, no, it's it's going to be awesome. It's cool. It's a military show, which is even weirder because I'm like, okay, we're going to what could be a possible target. <laughs> you know, um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's been forever, and I mean, I've, I've literally I've, in any band I've ever been in, I've never been in Japan, so I have no idea what to expect. You know, everyone everyone tells us they're like, just take a lot of pictures because it's a lot to take in. You know, so for us, it's going to be cool, man. I mean, it's uh, it's going to be a little strange. Clint, Clint's got Cedar commitment, so E Rock is actually going to be uh, he's going to be helping out. He's going to fill in. Um, so yeah, we're we're cramming and, and divvying up vocal parts and all that good stuff. Uh, but it's going to be a lot of fun. You know, we're really looking forward to, you know, so there'll be a few thousand, you know, somewhere between five and seven thousand Marines out there. Um, and it's always fun when you go and you do these show groups because they just, they appreciate it so much. You know, I'm not going to say that they appreciate it more or less or whatever, but they don't get it. I mean, it's not like living in L.A. where you can go down to Sunset, you know, on any given day and see, you know, nine different bands, you know, which show are you going to go to see tonight? Oh, I saw them, you know, three months ago, so I'm going to go see someone else. Mm. I mean, to be able to go to somewhere like that, um, it was cool. I mean, when we did Iraq and Afghanistan, it was a little, it was a little weird, you know, because you can hear the mortar fire and you can, you know, hear actively, you know, things that are going on in the war zone. But when we went to uh, South Korea, it was awesome, you know, because it's a different it's a different vibe when you go somewhere like we've done military stuff in Germany too. You know, if they're not, you know, these people are all wearing, you know, wearing casual clothes, they've got their families there and they're just, you know, just having a good time and chilling. So that's kind of be, going to be a little bit more of the vibe that, uh, you know, this Japan trip will be, hopefully, if, you know, this North Korean dude doesn't like fly off the handle between now and then. <laughs> right. Well, man, we appreciate your time. Thanks for spending an hour with us. Yeah. Thank you. Absolutely. Brother, absolutely, man. My pleasure. And uh, yeah, anytime, man. I mean, uh, this is actually the first interview that I've done for the new projected record. So this uh, this, this should be a, a nice beginning to everything. So cool. I definitely appreciate you guys having me. Cool. Yeah. Thank you. There you go. John Connolly of Seven Dust and Projected. Very cool. Very thankful to him for taking the time out of his day to talk to us for basically an hour. Yeah. I mean, we got some gems here. Yeah. We got some killer stories i mean if if you're an up-and-coming band listen to a lot of the stuff he's saying it's helpful i mean this was a great interview and he had all kinds of great stuff to say 
again, it was an honor. And what did, what do did we take away from that? That if you're a vocalist, you should blow out your voice and then sing. It sounds better. It sounds a little gravelly there. Yeah. 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 Actually, but like he, he said, said, don't try that. At don't home. do that. Yeah. yeah. Don't do that. <laughs> well, once again, we appreciate John Connolly taking time out. We appreciate you for listening. If you're a Seven Dust fan and this is the first time you've tuned in, we appreciate it. Check us out online at thethunderunderground.com. Follow us on Facebook. It's backslash thethunderunderground. Follow us on YouTube at the Thunder Underground. We've got most of these episodes up on there as well. We've also got other series we do called Every Album in a Row, where we take bands' entire catalogs and listen to them in chronological order, every single song, and then just react to how it flows. So I believe we've even talked about that, you know, sometime in the coming months, Seven Dust will be one of the bands we do that Yeah, with. it definitely could be. Because, I mean, they've got a huge catalog now, so that'll be a fun one. Anyway, you can also hit us up on soundcloud.com backslash thunder underground. That's where every single 119 episodes are. Yes. We've got stuff with guys from Soil, Sons of Texas, Avatar, Drowning Pool, Europe, Megadeth, Corrosion Conformity, Crowbar, Warrant, Europe. We just did Local H. That's right. Uh, Anvil, a guy. Super Joint. Yeah, Super Joint, Steve Wonder, Super Joint, a guy you might have heard of named Gene Simmons. I need some kid who hasn't wiped his first cum stain off his leg to tell me what I need in my life. Yeah. That's right. From Kiss, uh, Oscar Siermal from Truck Fighters, that King, Eddie Valise from King. Yes, The Sword, Trickster, Bullet Boys. Night Demon. Yes. Which that album just came out today and it fucking rules. Came out like three days ago, actually. Three days ago, excuse me. You gotta watch me on that shit. <laughs> What else came out last Friday? We had to talk about the future. There's a new album from Junkyard. Junkyard, yeah. And if you're from our era where you grew up in the middle of the late 80s rock, you should know Junkyard. If you don't, you're missing a hell of a lot of good music. That's right. That's right. Those first two Junkyard albums, you know, classic, you know, bluesy hard rock. But anyway, we'll talk about that on a coming episode. That's right. We're also, like I said, we're also going to talk about the new Reliance Coda pretty soon. We've got Travis. And Devin from Devil You Adore coming up here probably in the next episode. We've also got the guys from Alter Blood coming up. Yes, we do. That's a good one. We're going to be talking about the Saving Able show that featured Driver, Grind, Wither, and Chasing Jenny that we just saw the other day. Mm -hmm. So all that stuff's coming soon. So be on the lookout. Hit subscribe. Follow us. And keep listening. And go listen to Projected. Yes. And Reliance Code. Yes. All right, well, once again, thank you for listening. Thank you to John Connolly. Until next time. Thunder Underground, y'all.